Today, we remember the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is maybe an important word to understand. Uh, It's a word that's connected with the Greek word for 50, and Greek-speaking Jews would have referred to the Feast of Weeks with the word that's similar to Pentecost. The Feast of Weeks was instituted by God in the Old Testament as a feast for his people to keep uh, as a celebration of the, the gathering in of the first fruits of the harvest. Seven weeks after the first fruits were gathered, the Feast of Weeks was to be celebrated by the people of God. This was a holy time of remembrance of God's provision and giving thanks to God. But we don't speak Greek, most of us, and we're not Jewish. So why do we celebrate Pentecost? Right? There, we need to bridge this connection, right? Pentecost happened to be the day when God pours out his spirit. He baptizes the body of believers, the church, to go out and get to work in the mission of reconciliation, the mission of Jesus Christ. So today on the day of Pentecost, which has much meaning in the, in the Bible, specifically for us today, is the occasion at which God poured out his spirit onto his people as he promised so that they can get to work in the power of the king. Before we read our passage today, let's pray. Father, open our eyes and ears and soften our hearts that we might understand. And through the power of your spirit, help us to know you more. For you are our holy God, and you have poured out your spirit on your people that we might understand and that we might glorify you in all we do. May our worship today in the hearing of your word glorify you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our passage is from Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Hear the word of God. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound, like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And as this sound, the multitude came, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, "Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us?" in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, 
They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by the mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Our passage today and the rest of Scripture attests to the fact that all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. The book of Revelation shows us that this will be a great multitude, a multitude that cannot be numbered. And so we know that this group today that receives the power of the Holy Spirit, who is baptized by the Holy Spirit, cannot be the whole church but is actually the founding of the church. Here, we have 120 believers who are baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then later that day, 3,120 believers. But this is a number that we can number, isn't it? Well, John tells us that we will not be able to number the multitude that worships at the throne of God for all eternity all who are saved by proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the founding of the church and the start of the work of the church. The body of Christ that is baptized today in their passage is sent out to do the work of the kingdom. And to do the work of the kingdom You need the power of the king. That's what we see happening here today. This is the same work that Jesus did when he was here on earth. When Jesus was here on earth, he was baptized, he received the spirit of God, and he went out to do his work of ministry here on earth, proclaiming forgiveness of sins as people repented and turned to Jesus Christ as their savior. This is the work of the kingdom, the reconciliation of sinners to God. And on this day of Pentecost, the celebration of the first fruits of the harvest, we see the harvest begin. We see this end time harvest begin as the harvest, the believers in Jesus become the harvesters and start to do the work of the kingdom. What we see here today is that Kingdom people do kingdom work in the power of the king. Kingdom people do kingdom work in the power of the king. And even Jesus Christ himself was equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and do this work. And today we see the Holy Spirit equipping the body of Christ, the church, to go out and do this work In the same way, we see the Holy Spirit equipping God's people and preparing them in three ways. First, the harvesters are prepared. Second, the harvest is prepared. And third, the harvest is gathered in. So first we see that the harvesters, that is the body of Christ, are prepared. And the first thing we see about this is that 
There's a unity in the body of Christ. Before they are baptized by the Spirit of God, they are gathered together. Verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. We can start to see already that the body of Christ is a corporate body. It's made up of many individuals, but it's one body. Scripture tells us that the unity of this body is important. The Spirit of God binds together the body of Christ here on earth. That unity is important. And so right off the bat, we can take something away. Because we live in this age of of hyper-individualism, where we can personalize everything and, and everything can be for us. The body is made up of individuals, but it is a corporate body. And that helps us to understand what's going on with the baptism of the Spirit. They're gathered together because Jesus Christ told them to wait until the baptism of the Spirit that will be poured, on, poured out onto you not many days from now. And so they're obedient, and they're gathered together because of Christ's command. We, too, are called to be obedient and gather together as the body of Christ. Many individuals that make up one body. Very important to remember. And it helps us to understand this baptism as well. Because this is quite an event, isn't it? This baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a sound like a rushing wind. There's flames of fire coming down on people's heads. This is intense. This is an intense baptism, right? We have very sweet and wonderful baptisms. But there's no fire involved, and there's no sounds like rushing winds. Why is that? It's because what the body of Christ received then is applied to us now as we join in with the church. Baptism is a mark, right? As Presbyterians, we can understand this, right? Baptism marks one as part of the covenant community. As we baptize children, as we baptize new believers, they are gathered into this community of God, this covenant community of God. This is a special baptism where God marks his harvesters. He marks them with the very presence of God. And so they're set aside. This is a special group of individuals set aside Now, why don't we experience flames and a sound like rushing wind when we are saved, when we're converted, or when we join the church? There's a little parallel that might be helpful. Jesus Christ died at one point in history. At that one point in history, the Savior dies, and as people come to faith throughout history, that One point in history is applied to their lives. It's the same with the baptism of the Spirit to this corporate body of believers. This one-time baptism of the Holy Spirit where God marks the corporate body of Christ as his covenant people. As we come to faith, as we join into local congregations of believers and join into the worship and work of the church, That anointing of the Spirit, that baptism of the Holy Spirit is applied to us as we join the body of Christ. The body of Christ, once baptized, that is now applied to us 
as we join a church in faith, a local congregation of people, of individuals, that make up this corporate body. So we see that harvesters are gathered together. They're marked by the baptism of the Spirit. And these harvesters are equipped. God pours out his Spirit on his people. This is the very presence of God. The passage from Joel shows us that the very presence of God is a transforming presence on everybody. On the young, on the old, on slaves, on free, everybody is transformed by the presence of God. It's an unavoidable reality. When Moses is walking along in the wilderness and he's shepherding his sheep and there's a burning bush, there's fire in a bush. And God says, here I am on this mountain, the very presence of God. And Moses' life is transformed from an exiled shepherd to a shepherd of God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery. Moses is transformed by the presence of God. On Sinai, when God's people gather around the mountain, God descends onto the top of Sinai in flames. There's a blast like a trumpet sound. Look at the similarities here. We have fire and the sound of a rushing wind, the very presence of God. And there on Sinai, God gave out his law to his people. That law, had his people followed that law to a T, would have transformed them. They would have been the nation of God walking in his ways. And so too now. The Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people They are transformed from a huddled mass in a room to going out and proclaiming the mighty works of God in many different tongues. Here we can start to see the sovereign hand of God as he orchestrates this magnificent event, as he orchestrates the Spirit giving the power of these men to go out and speak the mighty works of God in tongues they had never spoken before. And it creates quite a spectacle, doesn't it? This spectacle is an occasion for all of these men who are coming from all over the place to come in and see. And it provides the occasion for this harvest, for this harvest of souls, the gathering in of God's people, the church. So first we see the harvesters are prepared. They're gathered together. They're marked by baptism of the Spirit and they're equipped and transformed to go out and do the work of the kingdom. Kingdom people doing kingdom work and the power of the king, right there. The next, the harvest is being prepared. So we might ask, who is being prepared? Verse 5 says, There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. This is the harvest that is currently being prepared in our passage today. Jews, that is, followers of the Jewish faith, from every nation, right? The Jews had been scattered ever since Israel fell, ever since Jerusalem fell. They had been scattered and brought into exile and had not been gathered back. But they were devout men. So this word devout might bring some negative connotations to our mind, we might think of, uh, of devout Jews. Well, in the Gospels, the Pharisees were devout Jews, and the Pharisees are usually depicted in a negative light, so maybe this is a negative comment here by Luke. 
devout Jews. So it's important to understand what's Luke talking about here when he says devout Jews. I don't think Luke is using this in, in sort of a backhanded compliment kind of a way. I don't think he's trying to say these were overly religious, but they really did know the law and try to follow the law. They were really word devout in a sincere way. This is the same word that's used to describe Ananias. So as Paul is walking down the road to Damascus, as he's going to persecute Christians, and Jesus appears, and he's blinded, and he has scales over his eyes, this is the same word that describes Ananias, who goes to restore Paul's sight and to bring him into the body of believers. This is the same word that's used to describe Simeon, the old man who's at the temple as Jesus is brought as a baby to be dedicated, who prophesies and said, this is Jesus, the Messiah, who will save God's people, who gives thanks to God and says, praise be to God, for you have given your servant what you have promised, that I might see the Messiah before I die. Ananias and Simeon were not Pharisees. They were devout men. So we shouldn't jump to an automatic negative conclusion with this word devout, but understand that these were men from all over that had come to celebrate Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks demanded by God. So what does that mean? That means that these men, at least, were really good at checking boxes, okay? They were really good at knowing what to do and doing it. They knew the check boxes, and they knew how to check them off. And they knew how to do that continually. That's this devout, the meaning of this devout. They were religiously devout. And take that for what it's worth. They were checking boxes. They had a lot of boxes to check. Have you ever read through Leviticus? It's a lot of boxes to check, right? Have you ever read through Deuteronomy? A lot of boxes to check. A lot more boxes than we could probably think up that we could think up to check. But what's the reality here? They might have been good at checking boxes. They might have known all the boxes to check. But Peter points out a big problem here. Checking all of these boxes led to them killing the Messiah of God. Checking all of these boxes didn't do anything for their salvation and, in fact, made them enemies of God. Twice, Peter lays at their feet the death of Jesus. It was you that killed this Jesus, the Messiah. Two times in his sermon, Paul says that to these devout Jews. So checking boxes doesn't lead to salvation. That's important for us to remember. Checking boxes does not lead to salvation. And these men who had many more boxes to check and were very good at checking them all, they could not earn their salvation. Brothers and sisters, it is the same for us. We cannot check enough boxes to earn our salvation. We cannot come to enough Sundays, check the box, to earn our salvation. We can't go to enough Sunday schools. We can't teach enough Sunday schools. We can't greet enough people at the door. We can't feed enough hungry people. We can't give enough money to the church to earn our salvation. 
That doesn't mean that these are bad things. That doesn't mean these are things that we shouldn't do. But it means that they're not sufficient to earn our salvation. We'll find out soon enough. What many of us already know is that salvation is through faith in Christ alone. We can check all those boxes, but they only glorify God through faith in Christ. So how is this harvest prepared? These men are sure that their checking boxes will get them to heaven, right? They'll get them into the presence of God. But this harvest is prepared through the conviction of sins. The harvest is prepared through the conviction of sins. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter has just explained to them that Jesus is the promised Messiah of God, the one that they knew about, the one they've been reading about in Scripture, the one they've been waiting for to restore Israel and to bring people, God's people out of slavery. This is the one. And guess what? You killed him. That's conviction of sin. They're cut to the heart. That's a hard reality to swallow. These men know who God is. They've been studying the scriptures. They know that God is a just God. They know that God avenges the poor. They know that God pours out his wrath on his enemies. And what is Peter telling them? Guess what, guys? You are the enemy. They understand who God is. And as Peter proclaims the truth to them, their sin convicts them. They understand who God is, and they understand their affront to God in their sin. And they are enemies to God. Their hearts are being humbled. Their hearts are being prepared for the harvest through the conviction of their sins. This isn't a pleasant thing. The word here for cut to the heart, when that phrase is used, it's, it's an intense conviction. It's an acute emotional distress, it's anxiety, it's great remorse. This is a big deal. How does that come about, that realization? It's from Peter speaking the truth. You're the people that killed Jesus. And that's a big deal. Most of us really want to be known as nice people. We're always concerned about being nice. And it's good to be nice. We like to be around nice people. We like to make people feel good. The problem with the conviction of sin is it doesn't really make people feel very good. And in fact, it makes people feel quite wretched. Nobody wants to make people feel bad. But it's much better to be a loving person than a nice person. And here, Peter does the loving thing. He speaks the truth in love so that the hearts of these men are prepared to receive the gospel. He stands up for the truth, and he doesn't shy away from the fact that when I tell you how bad your sin is, it's going to hurt. When I tell you how bad your sin is, you're not going to like it. 
but it's going to prepare your heart to hear the good news of salvation, to hear and receive the salve of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to speak the truth in love, brothers and sisters, if we are to prepare hearts for the harvest. Kingdom work. Remember, kingdom people do kingdom work. Part of that work is convicting people of sin. Not in the way we say it, not in our self-righteousness, not in being rude or mean about it. We've got to follow our, our checklist of 1 Corinthians 13. We have to do it in a way that's uh, kind and, uh, and not self-righteous, in a patient way, so that people can come to a repentance of their sin. Peter lets that conviction sit in their hearts until they are convicted, until God brings them to repentance. And then what does he do? This is where the harvest is gathered. See, the harvest is prepared, these men, through the conviction of their sins. And the harvest is gathered through the call of the kingdom. Verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent. Your hearts are hurting because of your sin. Repent of your sin and turn from your sin to Jesus Christ and be baptized. We know that being baptized is to join into the body of Christ, to unite together as one. So repent and unite and receive the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Why? So that you can get to work so that you can become a kingdom person doing kingdom work in the power of the king, the spirit of Christ. Repent, unite, and get to work. Where are you in this kingdom checklist? This is a good thing to consider. Where are we in this kingdom checklist? Have we repented of our sins? Is the conviction of our sins something that has affected our hearts? Has God granted us the repentance that we might turn away from the hideousness of our sins to the beauty of Jesus Christ? If not, repent. Hear the truth that our sins are an affront to a holy God, and in them we are enemies of God. Turn from your sins and turn to the forgiveness of those sins in Jesus Christ. If you have repented, have you been baptized? If you've been baptized, have you joined into the life of the local church? Remember, many individuals gathered together as one united body of Christ. Have you done that? Are you partaking in the life of the church? Are you discipling other believers? Are you loving on people and serving them through faith in Jesus Christ? As you join into the body, the life of the body of the church. If not, Get to work. There's plenty of work to be done. There's plenty of people who need you. You've been prepared specifically to help specific people in this world. If you have joined into the life of the church, you've gotten to work. You've been equipped. Work boldly. 
and with joy because the Spirit of God is on you. It has been applied to you that once and for all baptism of the Spirit as you have joined into the life of the church through faith in Jesus Christ now glorifies God. Even a cool drink of water to someone who's thirsty brings glory to God. How do we attest to our Savior Jesus Christ? How do we witness to our Savior Jesus Christ? But by mighty works. Peter says this in a sermon. Luke attests to this as the mighty works of God come down and they proclaim in many different languages what God has done. As we go out into this world doing even the smallest works of mercy through faith in Jesus Christ, we bring glory to God. We fulfill our purpose to glorify God. Have you not gotten to work yet? Get to work. Get to work with confidence that if you have faith in Christ and you have joined in to the body of believers, the church triumphant throughout all the ages, the Spirit of Christ lives inside you and you are prepared to go out and get to work. Be bold, brothers and sisters. You are kingdom people, and you have been prepared for kingdom work to cry out to the whole world the great and mighty works of God. See here that the harvest becomes the harvester. Jesus Christ, the first fruits of the harvest raised from the dead, continues on with his mission of reconciliation by those that he gathers into his church and sends back out into the world to continue on with that harvest, the work of the kingdom for the glory of God. Hallelujah and praise be to him. Let's pray. Father, make us bold as we go out from this day of worship into a world of darkness. And may we shine the light of Christ into these dark places through even the smallest works of mercy that we might glorify you in all ways with our speech, with our actions, with our lives given to you as a holy sacrifice lived out for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Having heard the good news of the gospel, brothers and sisters, let us rise and proclaim that which we believe. Church, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father.